Roll another blunt. Yeah. Okay. La da 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 da. La da da La 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 la. La 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 la. La 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 la. Yeah. I was gonna clean my room until I got high. <laughs> I was gonna get up and find the broom. But then I got high. Uh, my room is still messed up. And I know why. Why, man? Yeah, because I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. You asked in a ride, you're trying to get out of my face. It's gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You might be qualified, ML. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now, Albert? Ah, they were getting so high in Lansing where they often get high on their own supply. But this time they were getting high on weed money. That's right, some of the most powerful people in Lansing, including a former Speaker of the House, have admitted to taking bribes to help people get a leg up in the marijuana industry. Joining us to talk about it today is my least favorite reporter in the whole world, mainly because he keeps writing these stories for the competition. But Craig Mauger joins us from Lansing to talk about a big scoop that he had last week, uh, one of a series of big scoops on uh, big people in big trouble, taking big money illegally. And uh, Craig joins us from Lansing, where uh, hopefully he's not going to be working too hard today. We would appreciate that if you take a personal day, kind of maybe take a little Austin Meadows time and just relax. Don't push yourself too much. <laughs> uh, we have another guest here who, who actually has a higher batting average than Austin Meadows, which actually might include all of us. I don't want to pick on Austin, but... Really? No, nobody has time. You're doing a decent job. Really? I thought he's he's relaxing. This is all. So you're going to diminish uh, depression and anxiety by calling it relaxing? Eh? Well, you know that's, I hate everybody, Sean. You that's can good. you can get provided some well, reminders. Either, either change with the times or you know. Okay, uh, Michael Bolada is here. He has a, a higher batting average than Javi. Baez, is that okay? There you go. And I could use some there personal you go. time. Oh, there you go. For sure. But, yeah. but punch, now, punch up. Now Sean is going to say that I'm biased. Uh, punch up, not down, and you're good. <laughs> Parker Meadows? Okay. He's not? Okay. Anyway, so Michael's here, a former federal prosecutor, helped put Kwame Kilpatrick in prison to talk a little bit about where this case may be heading because he knows how these deals go. When people come in, they plead guilty on an information. He'll tell you a little bit about why that's significant and where this cooperation could take us. And you know that voice. You know that admonishment. You know that holier than now, that sort of I'm better than you, even though I think you think you're better than me, but I'm not going to try and do that. It's the uh, I'm not really projecting. That's the that's Audrey, your thing. the Audrey Meadows of our podcast. That's She's fantastic. We don't project over. She's here. an Emmy winner, I think. She's very big. Mr. No, Sean Winter. No, no, keep, keep, keep doing what you're doing. It's okay. Well, I, w I was, but you in you interrupted me, so no, I, keep I, doing what I had to stop doing. for a minute. And Mark Fellhauer is not here with us. Uh, we can't say for sure whether he is cutting a deal with the feds to plead guilty to something. It's entirely possible. 
you have no idea what goes on in this basement. And based on some of the smells that I encountered when I came down here. That'd be gasoline. There may be something illegal. Was it gasoline? I got it all over myself, pump, putting gas in my car on the way here. I didn't realize it until I got you my car You are a man of the, the people. You know what I mean? You didn't have the guy at Sinclair check your windshield and uh, check the oil. No, there wasn't anybody in a bow tie running fill it up to with ethyl. wipe the, wipe the no. uh, windshield off. No. Okay. I just love that Sinclair logo where they have the dinosaur. It's kind of like if you want to know where your food comes from at an oil company, you should have a dinosaur on there because it's all fossil fuels. Do you miss the days when you pull up to a station and, and two or three people run out and start taking care of your car? Kind of like you're at a racetrack and they're going to change your tires to get it in on pit road. How old do you think we are? Well, you've been around for a bit. I don't know. Now who's picking on people? Now you're ageist? Is that what this is? Is that it? It seems like it, but we got to get to this. We got to thank uh, the people who make this show possible. That's David Hall of Hall Financial. Can help get you a great deal on a refi or help you buy your first house or maybe your next house. He helped me purchase a couple of rental properties, and, and he can do a great deal with you. We'll be talking about how David can help you. And Luke Nowacki of Pinnacle Wealth Strategies, if you're watching the stock market, if you're thinking about retirement, if you're worried about whether you are in shape to make the long haul, let Luke and his team at Pinnacle Wealth Strategies help you relax. Don't be anxious. Just kind of chill. When you're thinking about meadows, think about green meadows, pastures, just sort of just kind of chill. And Luke can tell you. Well, well, we'll tell you about how Luke can help you get to that, that, that easy retirement, which is the one everybody wants. And, of course, the Cajou Cafe is open for business. Music almost every night of the week. The kitchen is open late. The weather is great. This would be a perfect night to get outside and hear some live music or hang out at the garage bar. We'll tell you how you can find out when those are open and what's going on at the Cajou. Just in a moment after we thank Craig Mogg for coming on. And, Craig, I, I think I've, I've stalled you getting another scoop as long as I possibly can. It's time for you to take a victory lap and tell us about how you broke this big story. And if you would please give us your secret sources and their cell phone numbers uh, in the course of this conversation, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, well, I won't do that. But I appreciate well, you. Well, Craig, it was great on. having you on. <laughs> this is all just a scheme. Uh, no, I, I appreciate you having me on. I've been I've been working with my colleague at the news, Robert Snell, for multiple months digging into this investigation into how the state chose what businesses were going to make a ton of money through the medical marijuana industry. In 2016, lawmakers put in place this kind of complicated framework of regulations for deciding uh, how medical marijuana retailers and growers were going to operate and how they were going to get permission from the state to do that. Rick Johnson, who became the chairman of the licensing board, was actually involved in drafting the legislation. And that industry went from something that was basically uh, underground caregivers based out of people's houses largely into something where now after marijuana was uh, legally uh, was legalized, recreational marijuana in 2018. Now you see a business on every street corner just about in a lot of areas. This is a massive opportunity for people to make yeah. millions, possibly billions. When you think about how, uh, what I'm going to call um, uh, mood-altering substances in Michigan are sold, it's a very archaic model. Beer and wine has to go through distributors. Yeah. Liquor has to go through distributors. The state is basically, I mean, it's almost like a gangland thing. We're, we're, we're carved up into, into areas and... And this is a this is a, a quasi monopoly that the uh, that the industry works very carefully to preserve. So you're not going to break into that. 
But there's a huge market with marijuana that you could break into. And I've often, I've often theorized that the marijuana folks want it to be just like the liquor industry and the beer and wine industry, where they can, they can control a territory, they can make all the money and basically just sit back and buy super yachts to take Clarence Thomas out on. You know, that's something we often talk about as we've been reporting out the stories is that this is the creation of a new industry. This is not something that we've really seen play out for many, many decades. And as this was playing out in 2016, 2017, 2018, as it's still playing out, there was a huge push to get as large of a portion of the industry by a lot of wealthy individuals. Some people you would never think would ever be interested in marijuana. We're trying to get into this industry. And you had that, this huge gold rush, as Mark Totten described it, uh, the U.S. attorney during the press conference last week announcing these charges. There was a gold rush to get a portion of this industry pushing up against the fact that Michigan has some of the weakest ethics laws in the entire nation. And when you have those two factors come together, who would have guessed that there were going to be problems? I mean, a lot of people guessed it. I mean, from the very beginning, there were, there were people questioning how this process was working, why Rick Johnson, a former lobbyist who had very recently had paid lobbying clients, why he was chosen by Senate Majority Leader Arlen Meekoff and Governor Rick Snyder to lead this licensing board. You can go back and read those stories where people are openly questioning that and saying that it didn't seem right, that he was the person that was picked. And he was picked in May, May 2017. And the feds have said that they got their first complaints about this and kind of started their investigation at the end of 2017. So within months of him taking the leadership position on this board, the feds started digging in around into what was happening. So do we know who complained and what they complained about? We don't, we don't know who went to the feds initially, but when you're talking about picking businesses, you know, you're picking one business over another business to get into this industry first. You know, if you could guess that there are people out there that probably got an inside look about how these individuals, Rick Johnson and these lobbyists, Vince Brown and uh, Brian Pierce were going about their operations, you know, there are probably people that heard things. I mean, we were hearing things even at the time as reporters covering this process. It just took a long time for all of these details to come out, and they still haven't come out yet. I mean, this is an investigation that's ongoing. There were a couple of companies who were listed as Company A, Company B, and Company C in what the feds have uh, filed in court so far. We still don't know exactly who those three companies are, who is all tied to them. Uh, this is something that's in the very early stages. I mean, this is something that there are a lot of businesses out there that, you know, one could be worried about conversations they may have had with Rick Johnson or Brian Pierce or Vincent Brown, or there could be a lot of businesses out there who are now looking at how things went with trying to get a license from these guys and being very frustrated. Something that I say over and over again is that, yes, at the end of the day, a lot of businesses were able to get licenses and get into this industry. That did happen at the beginning. I mean, at the end of the day, where we are now, there's kind of this oversupply of marijuana product. But in the beginning, those people that got the first licenses, those people that were able to launch their operations early, those are the people that were really best positioned to make a ton of money at the beginning of all of this. So you can see the power that Rick Johnson had to set the agenda, 
to pick who was going to get in early and have that head start over everyone else. Craig, tell us who the people are who are in trouble and what they've been charged with. Yeah, so right now there are four people who have been named so far who have been charged, and all four of them have agreed to plead guilty as of right now. That's Rick Johnson, the former House Speaker, a former farmer from Leroy in northern Michigan, who became the chairman of the licensing board. He's been charged with accepting a bribe, accepting bribes over $100,000. You have two lobbyists, uh, Vincent Brown and Brian Pierce, who are being charged with a type of conspiracy to commit bribery, working with Rick Johnson uh, to provide him funds to try to influence his decisions. And then there is a fourth individual, John DeLali, who is an Oakland County businessman, who is one of the many people who was trying to get into this industry, trying to get a piece of it. And he, he was charged with uh, offering Rick Johnson bribes, bribing Rick Johnson. He has uh, also agreed to plead guilty, as all four have. And they've also agreed to cooperate going forward, which would be a major indicator that this investigation is continuing and that there are, as we know, other potential targets that they're looking at. Has the state of Michigan said anything about rescinding licenses or taking some action against people who may have got a head start in this industry through nefarious means? What we have heard from the Cannabis Regulatory Agency is that they're trying to look into all this. They're trying to investigate. Again, I would caution that this is very difficult to do. The three companies that were mentioned, one was listed as Company C in the federal documents. The feds don't want to name the company yet. They were The company was represented by Brian Pierce and Vincent Brown. We don't know who that company was. We don't know if they knew that these guys were taking money from them to try to bribe Rick Johnson. We don't know what the conditions of their conversations with all these individuals were. But there's this company just sitting out there that was directly involved in this that hasn't been identified yet. So there's really no way for the CRA, the Cannabis Regulatory Agency, to go after that company because they don't they say they don't know who it is and the feds are refusing to say. There are two companies that are tied to John Delali. Those companies have also not been named. And you think it would be easy to determine who those companies are and what you know what license they got. Uh, where they're operating now, one of them got a license. Uh, it's not easy to determine. A lot of this, the investors in these companies, the people behind these companies, those names have been hidden through, a various, through various means from the public. And it's not always easy to figure out the connections between an investor and a company. So this is a very complex web. More details are going to come out as this case plays out, and we're going to get all this information. We don't have it all right now. So I have to say this because Sean will be upset with me. He's no, already, I won't. He's already upset with me. but No, never. But he's not judging me. Never. He's punching laterally with kind of a Well, to you it would be far up left cross. because you're up here, you know. I, I, don't, I don't want to say I'm superior, but I... Well, no, it's just more successful. Recipes for locator, right, Michael? That's a little Latin <sighs> kicking this morning here on the show. But I have to say this. I'm contractually obligated to mention uh -oh. Uh -oh. that Rick Johnson's best buddy when he was the Speaker of the House was Kwame Kilpatrick, and they used to hang out in Rick Johnson's office, and Kwame Kilpatrick would come over to Rick Johnson's office and eat cookies 
that I think Rick Johnson's wife made or somebody made. So homemade cookies. So, uh, so you're saying that Kwame rubbed off on Rick Johnson? I guess I'm just saying. Why were they eating cookies? Were they? What were they smoking? Well, that's they weren't brownies. Okay. Well, you, this was before this was legal. I, because I, I think there are some laws that Kwame... Oh, no, Kwame Kilpatrick. See, you, you you love these Kwame stories. He did say in the text messages, and Michael, you re- may remember this. I may. That he told Chris Beattie, I sold weed in college when they were confessing their greatest sins. Of course, they didn't confess their really great sins, but he did say, hey, I, I, big secret, I sold weed in college. I don't remember that one, but okay. I was focused on the ones involving the contracts as yeah. opposed to the, the, the <laughs> weed ones. probably thinking of the other yeah, we don't, 400 I'm not suggesting there was weed in the cookies. I'm just saying maybe they had the munchies. Okay. Anyways, Rick Johnson traveling in sort of the wrong circles, he, you know, small-town boy comes from Leroy, uh, starts mixing with Kwame Kilpatrick, and now he ends up going to prison. I don't know. Is this a Kilpatrick effect? Is this is he like the Kevin Bacon of Michigan corruption? Or did Kilpatrick get corrupted by Rick Johnson? Uh, any leads on that one, Craig? I don't, I don't know about that one. I mean, I've got to say, but I mean, I think it is noteworthy just how brazen this was. That when Rick Johnson was appointed to this board, there were many people quoted in stories, a lot of people making the argument that he was the wrong pick, that there was going to be potential corruption. At all of the meetings just about that I remember attending of the licensing board, there were people that would stand up and accuse him of doing things improperly. They didn't have proof at that time. They would make kind of veiled accusations. He would deny all this, and he would say repeatedly that he got into this because he wanted to help family members who had benefited from using medical marijuana. Just incredibly brazen. While people are accusing you of this, you're denying it, and you're saying that you're acting in an altruistic fashion, that here you are actually doing what everyone was accusing you of behind the scenes. He just forgot to mention those family members he wanted to help were named Johnson. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and Craig, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't some of these lobbyists who also pleaded guilty Weren't they staffers for Mikoff or somebody in the legislature who kind of hit that revolving door pretty fast and got into the weed business as soon as they left their state jobs? Yeah, the, not, not Mikoff, but one of them, both of them worked for legislators uh, previously before becoming lobbyists. One of them, Brian Pierce, was the staffer for Clint Kessler, oh, who's a rep- right. representative from Oakland County. He was the guy who led the committee that pushed this medical marijuana bill that created the licensing board through the legislature, the House Judiciary Committee. And essentially, as soon as Pierce, this bill got through the House, Pierce quit his job as a staffer and became a lobbyist as the bill was kind of still moving forward. When Kesto left the legislature, he he became a lobbyist. He I don't know if he's still working as a lobbyist, but he became a lobbyist after leaving. Vincent Brown was a staffer for a Democratic representative named Bob Kosowski. After his time as a staffer ended, he became a lobbyist. Uh, I think Bob Kosowski is also a lobbyist. So there's a lot of examples of this revolving door spinning very quickly. We are a state that does not have a cooling off period between where someone who's in the legislature cannot become a registered lobbyist. We just saw this with the former House Speaker Jason Wentworth, that the same day that another former House Speaker is getting charged uh, with bribery, you have Jason Wentworth announcing that he is going to register as a lobbyist after, you know, a few months out of uh, the top position in the state house. I mean, the revolving door is spinning very quickly right now, and uh, it's something we're all going to keep watching. 
I do have a quick question, if that's okay. And this is for, for, for either Craig or for Michael or for both of you. Just how common is it when we're talking about licensing to uh, to have this kind of corruption? I mean, obviously, there's a long maybe a long history with liquor licenses, and I mean, if you, because you have a tremendous amount of power, right, to to change people's business lives. Very and, very common yeah. in um, public corruption cases because there are lower level folks like inspectors, building inspectors that come and, and check out when you're, you pull a permit to do something they have to. In Detroit, I know we, uh, when I was with the U.S. Attorney's Office, our corruption unit prosecuted several um, city inspectors because they have the power, like you said, Sean, to, to provide something valuable, which is the permit or the license, whatever it is. And that certainly is, is something that the marijuana, um, legalizing marijuana essentially opened up a huge Pandora's box of corruption. Um, Potential and it's it's not just at the state level. It actually um, exists at the low the, the lower local government levels for every township and every city because mm. these areas need to be zoned for this business. Um, and, and a lot of cities have speci specific zoning for medical and recreational marijuana now. And to get those to get that approved, you have to get the majority of the city council or the the township trustees to vote for it. And then you end up with people like Dean Reynolds, who was taking bribes in the in the uh, you know in the Chuck Rizzo um, trash hauling um, scandal. And some someone like that. There's lots of Dean Reynoldses out there, quite frankly, that are going to take money. And the marijuana business obviously generates a lot of cash and cash is very hard to to keep track of um, and hard to to um, root out so yeah it's 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 with permitting and with licensing it's it's very very common and it's been going on for a very long time one of the things that really strikes me and I, I don't know if, if anybody caught this point that Craig was making is these folks are under scrutiny from the beginning people mm -hmm. said this is rife with potential for abuse, people were speaking out, people were watching them, and they still did it. And, and I'll tell you, as someone who's talking, mean they to didn't Rick, learn their lesson from Kilpatrick. Well, and people? and well, I mean, you know, in Macomb County, they didn't learn their lesson from Kwame Kilpatrick. You know, Steve Fishman goes out there and he argues that harsh penalties are not deterrence. And I, I, I logically, I say, no, of course, harsh penalties do scare people away. But in the very same city hall where Kwame Kilpatrick was convicted of corruption. We've had Andre Spivey, we've had Gabe Leland, we have two other council members under scrutiny. People are still doing it, which is staggering. But but Rick Johnson, I've talked to him over the years, very convivial guy, very down-to-earth, very folksy guy, can be very candid, um, you know, the kind of guy that you would like to go and have cookies in his office. But it turns out, by his own admission, He's a greedy piece of shit who's headed to prison, more than likely, unless he sings like the biggest canary ever. And, Michael, tell us a little bit. These guys, Craig, I think you said they were charged on an information. What's the significant of the significance of the way they were charged? And yes. how can they, uh, as those of us in the legal profession say, mitigate their damages by cooperating? That's Sean. I'd Thank you. I'm going to take that. I tell you that. To say that's, that that's why I'm up here, baby. That's why I'm up here. Um, so, so um, wait, what was the question again? I don't know. It was kind of long. I wish, I wish we had some broadcast professionals. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. What, Craig, can you help me out? The significance of information. Okay, so information is filed um, almost exclusively when the person um, who's charged in the information has agreed to cooperate. And that is because to get charged by an information, that means you're agreeing, as a defendant, you're agreeing to waive 
your right under the Constitution to be charged by way of a grand jury indictment. And those agreements only come into play when there's cooperation and there's there's a, well, not always when there's cooperation, but certainly there has to be an agreement to a plea. Because if you're not going to agree to plead guilty, you're not going to waive your right to a grand jury. So when you see an information, you know right away the defendant's going to be pleading guilty. And then, it's like they said, you got me, right? You got me. And then, but the the more telling thing, and uh, although Mark uh, Totten, the U.S. attorney in the Western District of Michigan, doesn't want to come out and say there's going to be other people charged, he should have just rented a he basically rented a, a giant uh, billboard with ne- in neon lights saying more defendants to follow. And I say that because of the way that the plea agreements are are which were publicly filed as well. Um, they put right in, on on Front Street the fact that that all three of the defendants, um, uh, sorry, all four of the defendants are cooperating. And that's pretty unusual, too, because typically uh, cooperation agreements are filed separately and under seal or sometimes not filed at all. And there's there's a there's a reason for this. Everything that was done a few days ago was done purposely by Mark Totten uh, to send possibly send a message to other people that, you know, we're not done here. We're going to go. And in fact, he said he vows that the uh, he vowed that the bribery investigation will be ongoing, and when he was asked, he was asked specifically, are other people going to get charged? He says he declined to say, but he, then he added this. He goes, "There's really not much more I can say, except that the people I've named are cooperating." Well, why would you even say that? You know, in answer to the question, yeah. are other people going to be charged? So they are going to there are going to be other people charged, and and these all these these defendants are going to be be. Um, helping. The one thing that is unusual too is typically in corruption investigations, the public official is the big fish. He's at the top of the pyramid of of everyone that you're going after. So you don't typically cooperate the top person. So it makes me wonder, um, you know, who else is out there? And that's what I thought when I when I saw this. Hey, they're they're cooperating their main target against others. I mean, are they just going to cooperate him against all the other people that paid him? Possibly, but maybe there's there are more public officials so, involved, and that's the intriguing thing to me. Craig, didn't didn't Snyder appoint Johnson to this board? Yes, the way the appointment process worked is that the legislative leaders got to nominate people, and then the governor was supposed to pick from the nominees who got the board positions. That's a pretty what big fish. What we've been able, to dig, been able to dig out is that Arlen Meekoff, the former Senate Majority Leader, we know that he put forward Rick Johnson. We know that he really wanted Rick Johnson on this board, and he was pushing to get Rick Johnson on this board. There was some hesitation from the governor's team about whether to put Rick Johnson on this board. Eventually, Governor Snyder relented, put Rick Johnson on the board. And we know um, from our past reporting and what our sources are telling us, and there's been public confirmation of this from at least one former Snyder administration member that the feds have been asking questions about how Rick Johnson got this board position. That's one thing that they have been looking at. Um, so that is, I think you're hitting on something that is an important part of this. So Michael, could uh, the trade up be Arlen Meekoff, who is the former Senate majority leader, or would it be the governor? I mean, who's the next, what's the next level as you guys try and drive a prosecution up and get to, get to the big kahuna? Well, certainly if, if, um, Johnson had other public officials working with him or getting, getting possibly a piece of, of this, uh, the bribery money, those people could be in play. Um, but, but what, what is interesting though, is that, that, the U.S. attorney basically burned all of the cooperators by 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 com- coming forward and doing this. So there can't that means there can't be any 
um, covert investigation happening with you know uh, recorded calls being made by Johnson or the other three defendants. That's not happening. So it sounds like it's just all a historical going to be an historical um, new charge against whomever um, is, is going to be at the end of this. But and and, it could be the people that you mentioned. And and when you make an announcement like Totten did, is he saying? We're coming for you. Come see us and make your deal now. Or is he saying, get your affairs in order because the knock on the door is coming? Both. It's it's to motivate other people that might think they're going to get that knock on the door. So they go and they reach out to the FBI. That's certainly happened in the Kilpatrick investigation once. But it didn't happen really until, until Kwame was out of office. Thank, thank you, ML. Um, I, I did. I only voted for him the first time. I, but I don't no, want to take credit I mean, for. If he didn't fa- fall so hardly on those state charges, I mean that got him out of the way, and then people started coming forward. But you know, at one point we had, a, I believe we had an 800 number uh, that the FBI put out there saying, "Call this number if you have any information." Really? I believe there was. I have to. I have, I have did to you get like a that. football phone if you called in the yeah. first five it was minutes? In, it was in my. It was in my briefcase, and I could also launch uh, nukes. But no, it. We got, we did get lots of lots of tips and calls, and I think it was from that number. But that's something I think we should have up uh, all over Detroit and, and and Lansing and Grand Rapids and everywhere in the state. You know, it, it also helped me with with business. So, Craig, I know you got to get back to hopefully not scooping people. But uh, any anything else you can add? Any any questions you have for Mike? I hope you're not taking notes during this. By the way, I thought. No, he's he's making some great points. I, I would be curious. He's probably wrong, so don't report anything. <laughs> I would be curious to ask Michael. Yeah, don't you know, quote me. This is all on background, by the yeah, way. This, all on background. This is just between us. You know how big our audience Nobody's is. listening anyway. Sorry, Emil. <laughs> so you know, hurtful. they've been investigating this for, for five years. I mean, if they're doing their jobs, wouldn't they have already done those, you know, all yes. recording, yes. Yeah, people meet. That's what I keep thinking yeah, about. I mean, you're right. these people might have just agreed to this, but how long is it possible that these guys were working with them behind the scenes? That's exactly right. That's what I was. Another point I was going to make is that is that this is a six year investigation, uh, or almost six years, and like in the Kilpatrick investigation, for example, we we had secured people like James Rosendahl, who was working for that Cinegro company for that for the the billion dollar sludge contract, the crooked mullet. Right. And and to use that analogy with Monica Conyers, by the way, I would I would call these two fellows, Pierce and Brown. They would collectively be the Sam Riddle for Rick Johnson, who would be, be playing the role of Monica Conyers. So what I think happened is Rick Johnson probably set these two fellows up when they got out. Because if you look at the location, you know this, um, Craig, the location that they used is in the same building where Rick yeah. Johnson's company was. He probably set the whole thing up, I'm guessing. And, you know... It, Told told these fellows, hey, go out and, and tell people, hire us, and we'll you know we'll 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 get get those permits for you. That's probably what happened, and that that's why why I think that they did contact these folks years ago. And if you look at if you look at what the the U.S. attorney said, he said the investigation began in December of 2017, and the the reign of Johnson as the um, head of the Michigan Medical Marijuana um, Commission. Um, or licensing board that began in 2017. So right from Jump Street, they were looking at looking at him probably, like we were with Kwame. Like originally when Kwame came into office, it wasn't too long where we we got an informant saying, "Hey, I had to pay Bernard Kilpatrick as a consultant in order to get a contract." So they probably got rumblings like that initially, and then they started their investigation. 
What's amazing about that is I, I talked to some folks about Bernard Kilpatrick, who he started his lobbying firm, I think, the day after his kid was elected or took office. I mean, it was pretty, pretty obvious how this was going to work. But I was talking to longtime um, uh, business rep who had a good reputation, had a lot of experience working with City Hall. And at first I was like, what's your, what's your relationship with the mayor? I was like, yeah, we're having, we're having a hard time. Like a year later, I checked in with him. I said, hey, man, how, how's it going? He's like, everything's great. I said, what happened? He said, well, we figured out who to hire. I said, what does that mm. mean? He's like, we hired the mayor's dad. <laughs> so now all our problems are taken care of. We had, we had, our, we had our fixer. And it also provides that, that buffer. And I think that's something you guys were alluding to in your conversation earlier about how, you know, this company C exists. But by, by making the bribe payers hire an intermediary, with, with Monica Conyers, it was Sam Riddle. It gave some plausible deniability to the bribe payer, saying, well, I was just hiring Bernard Kilpatrick's dad as a consultant. I assumed he was consulting. and But really, all it is is a pass-through for a bribe. Right. And I think as... <laughs> As as many of Bernard Bernard's clients found out, to, to Bernard's benefit, he rarely closed the deal. In fact, I remember talking in the hallway one time during the trial. I said, "So far, the feds have proven that you're a shitty lobbyist." And he started laughing. He's like, "Yeah, he he really thought that was his get out of jail card." And I think maybe that was a factor for the jury. I don't know, but uh, but Craig, hey, thanks very much. I I was going to give you credit for uh, breaking this big story, but. It, Sounds like it's like five years old. This thing's been going on since December 2017. <laughs> thanks what for getting so long. Thanks for getting off your ass. <laughs> no, I appreciate you all having me on. Thank you, Emil. It's always great to chat with you, man. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Yeah. So please subscribe to the Detroit News. Subscribe to the Free Press. It's ridiculously cheap, and you support this good work that brings this stuff to light. You know, Craig and his team at the News, Robert Snell, and 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 the other folks there, they were reporting this story before it happened, and. And that's really where the fourth estate comes into this, because not only do we set the table for this, start writing these stories and, and raising the uh, the level of awareness in law enforcement about these relationships, because, you know, Craig's been working in the city in uh, in the Capitol every day for years. He knows that a meeting with somebody else is is significant. Paul Egan for the Free Press, Dave Boucher, Claire Hendrickson, our team. When when they write that so-and-so is doing something with somebody else and that's significant, they know that because they have the time there. They they see the connections. They It's like the matrix. Some people see the ones and zeros and some people see the woman in the red dress. They see the woman in the red dress. And I think when the feds are looking at this, you guys aren't in there every day. You don't rub elbows with these people. In fact, based on my knowledge you guys try and stay in the bushes as long as you possibly can. I got to believe this reporting where people say, hmm, this could be a conflict of interest is something that, that the feds are taking note of and saying, yeah, maybe we should maybe we should pay a little attention to this. Yes, definitely. I mean, I mean, <clears throat> right from the get-go, like, like we were talking about, the, the fact that it's marijuana, that's typically associated with crime. And, and Plus, you guys love to seize that, politicians. right? You got, you got drugs and politicians. Right and for, money, for corruption, money everywhere. A, a couple of things. First of all, I think you, I think you meant to say you see the ones and zeros because that's what's really there, right? You don't want to be fooled by the red dress. You see the ones and zeros. Does that does that make Ooh, sense? That's deep. I like that. Well, but, no, it, but it, it, it's it, in the way the ones and zeros come together. You can see patterns and they form things. But yeah, but I mean, to to the uneducated, you see a one and you see a zero and it means nothing. 
It's just random numbers. Right, right. I understand. Oh, okay, but you, so you just said something that I think is really interesting here, Michael. And you were talking about marijuana and seeds. Write that down, so, ML. I said something. I, I've been writing a lot of it. I just hope Craig isn't writing. So it down. just the bigger picture, the <laughs> pragmatic view, as a former prosecutor, what's easier? Who is it easier to go after? Before marijuana was legal, how, was it harder to go after the, the cops that were clearly on the take, right? Um, and the folks that were dealing themselves. And also, there was a certain amount of violence that went with that that is now not there. So, is it easier now, even yeah, it's though... That's white-collar crime, right? It, it, right. In a way, it is. Yeah. So we, kind of, we kind of shifted from violent crime to white-collar crime. Is it easier to go after the white-collar criminals, in a way? Because it felt like we were making a dent when it was illegal, really much at all. And society was paying, I would argue, a much stiffer price because of the violence, which is permanent. Yeah, I mean, making everything legal takes out a lot of the violence, obviously. Um, is it easier to, to root out corruption now it, it, when, when, with the violence, when the violence out of it? I, I, would, say, I, I would say the jury is out on that. But Plus the, you're not worried about police in the same way. Well, the police... Well, because they're not involved. Right. They, At least with marijuana. The, the thing to keep in mind, a couple things. Number one, this marijuana business, um, there's lots of marijuana selling that's going on now illegally still. And that's because there are a lot of people that don't want to go through all the hoops and, and pay Rick Johnson or you know, just, just even filling out the forms and having deal. background well, checks. It's cheaper. You're not paying the yeah, tax. The it's it's thing, heavily right? taxed, right? And, oh, well, licensed well, that's, and taxed. Just like was, cigarettes. People still smuggle cigarettes because you can get them cheaper out of the back of a van than you can at the bodega. It, it, so, so that's still going on. But the other thing I was going to say is marijuana is, is, has the potential to be incredibly profitable. And I say that because and right now it's not anywhere close to its potential because marijuana is still a schedule 1 controlled substance and that means under under section 280e of the tax code that that people that are running a legitimate mar marijuana legal marijuana business they cannot claim deductions for normal operating expenses of a business uh, salaries to employees not deductible Rent, not deductible. Equipment, not deductible. Nothing's deductible except for the cost of goods sold. So essentially, the, so the it's price very high overhead to run so one of these businesses. Very, very, and and they, they their tax rate is like three and a half times what a normal tax. So rate that's got to change at some point. So that will change, and most likely, it, it, the way it'll change is either marijuana becomes legal, which probably may not happen as, as quick as marijuana will be rescheduled. I think that's what's probably going to happen. It won't be Schedule One anymore, and then. That um, that 280e section I talked about only applies to Schedule One selling Schedule One drugs. So once that happens, then then businesses will, doing this legally will make a lot of money. That might also uh, shrink the black market too a little bit if it become because it can be a little, uh, the weed itself will be a little bit more affordable through the dispensaries, right? Mm -hmm. But we still even with legal stuff and and maybe it's different because you need a doctor to give you opioids. But I mean prescription drugs huge illegal market for that, even it's though true. they are legal, depending on how you get them. So there's always going to be somebody looking for an angle, but yeah. But you can't just walk into a dispensary and buy, uh, you know, an, opio an opioid. Right, right. So there's that difference. But I, I, I think you hit on, on a hugely important point, is that the marijuana business really? used to be, no, you had, it happens every once in a while. We had our 200th episode. That that's So that's Thank two. You. So we're averaging one every 100 episodes. <laughs> but 
but that notion of you can get it on the street corner, so you got to control that street corner. It's like, no, now you go in the front door, and it's a very nice shop, and they have comfy chairs, and they probably, you know, have uh, a vending machine. And, I mean, it, it's become almost, when you see something, it's almost a boutique because they're trying to compete. No, for sure. Get, you can go wherever you want, go to the nicest place. You know, it's... Is it wrong that I'd rather have the, the Ricks of the world on the take than your average street cop? I, I just, no, in terms I'm, of just the larger benefit. I'm more uh, worried about Pablo Escobar than, than Officer Too Friendly, but. No, for sure. I, but Pablo Escobar doesn't exist without an awful lot of law enforcement people in his pocket. He doesn't survive that long, right? Or an Absolutely. awful lot of law enforcement people worried their families will be killed if they do their job. That's a way to have them in their pocket. Chiapas, yeah. That's, that goes along yeah. with crime. Exactly. Exactly. No, for sure. But I, I but it's not just greed that they're in their pocket, right? It's fear too. Right. No question. Yeah. But I, I have to, I have to reject the notion that, that it's okay to have certain people crooked. I still prefer that nobody be no, crooked. No, we're not, and we're not saying not it's, realistic, we're not saying it's okay, but that's what you just said is the key. It's not realistic. So where are we going to shift? Right. Where are we going to shift, shift and then try to somehow police? It just seems like, wow, we've, you, you, this is already blown open. This there feels, people, like, this feels like Rick Johnson's closing argument. No, 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 no. But the fact that these people are already in trouble this quickly into this fairly new thing, I think is a really good sign. Uh, I, well, I, I think it says that somebody and, and the uh, I think the. I think the personality, uh, for lack of a better term, of a federal law enforcement office, be that a prosecutor or FBI or IRS, CID or DEA or ATF or any of those, varies from, from administration to administration, from leadership to leadership. But I think what we found is whoever was running the team in this case did a great job because if this thing was identified as a potential problem in December... The feds put something in their their tickler file to say, let's keep an eye on this. And in five years, I mean, four people are potentially going to prison. This isn't we've brought charges and we're going to have another year or two of trials. In four years or so, they've they've rounded up some of the worst actors in this business who may be telling them who the other powers behind the throne Four years may seem like a lifetime to a lot of people, particularly if you're paying college tuition during those four years. But... That's a pretty quick turnaround. That's my point. I yeah. just feel like that's I mean, fairly efficient. Whereas if you're trying yeah. to take out, I mean, it's you, startlingly you, efficient. How long did it take out? How long did it take to get Escobar? Right to, to you. Now I know that's an extreme example, but there are lower level Escobars all over the country running marijuana before it was lit. Well, I know obviously there's, I'm sure, still some of that, but because it's not legal. legal Wouldn't that be a good pot brownie in Escobar? Yeah, as like yeah. a brand name. Yeah. Or was he more cocaine and heroin? I don't know. I don't know that much about that stuff. I live a pretty clean life. Um, just drinking allegedly. some water and having some grapes. And allegedly. Did you say allegedly? I did. Yeah. <laughs> He's a defense attorney now, but otherwise he'd say you, you Escobar, no, you but, but that's now, he's, all, now he's ready to. I got your back now. That's right. That's what's always so that's interesting right. to me is that we just, we, we understand there's a certain level of human greed and avarice and, and all that sort of thing built into our DNA. It's just, it's just there. We're never going to get rid of that. So how do we... What is the restraint, though, Sean? What, what does it take how do we to restrain that? Exactly. What's the most efficient way versus the cost of society? Well, I, I would say let's stop 
let's make getting murder out the number one thing, and then we go from there. But people murder so they can control their weed market, or they oh for sure, for yeah. sure, sure. So, but if we if we legalize, that was always to me the most important argument. But maybe the flip the side out. is maybe the flip side is if you get the crooks out of the other business, there'll be nothing for people to kill over. So maybe you start at the bottom instead of say we're going to eliminate murder, just eliminate all the things that lead up to murder, or just make things legal, right, right. So you're eliminating markets. That's what you're trying to do. Well, if you made murder legal, it wouldn't be murder, right? It'd just be killing. That's true. So it'd be like uh, it used to be in the beginning of our country. Well, you know, so there's Sean, some folks here so that we've want established everybody Sean armed. is pro-killing. No, no, no. Well, that, I was mean to Austin Meadows, but Sean is politicians out there right now that want every teacher armed, for example. Not that we want to go down that rabbit hole, but uh, yeah. As someone who has a daughter with an education degree, and as I've written the free you do not want her in a school with a gun. That is, she doesn't want to have one, and you do not want her throwing oh, shots down the hall. It's ludicrous, but that's, yeah. Well, I, I want to hear uh, from Michael. We, we said something about a minute ago about avarice and some other stuff, which brings me to the topic of Donald Trump. But before we get there, I want to tell you how you can save some money. Uh, David Hall and Hall Financial, the Smart Buy Program. Uh, this is a great time to buy a home in Michigan, and housing inventory is on the rise. You can get ahead of the competition before the busy spring and summer home buying season is here. It's easier than ever to get into your new home with Hall Financial's exclusive Buy Smart program, giving you money towards your down payment. And, you know, you can get pre-approved often on the same day with most credible pre-approval in the industry. Hall Financial's five-star certified pre-approval is the way you want to go. We can even connect you with a top realtor from their exclusive realtor network. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance your current home, you need to call Hall Financial first at 866-CALL-HALL. That's 866-CALL-HALL. You can chat with them online at callhallfirst.com or find a link to their website on our website, which is mlsoulofdetroit.com. And when you go there, please let them know that you know about them because of this show. Now, thinking about retirement can be hard. It's like shoveling snow or YouTube, which... I think I shovel snow faster than I get through going through the YouTube rabbit hole. You can try to cobble it together on the fly. Doesn't sound very comfortable to me. Or you can give Luke Nowacki and his team at Pinnacle Wealth Strategy a call to see if they can help at 248-663-4748. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. Isn't that right, Joe? Securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. Member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. It's separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. Well, Sean uh, takes a walk around the yard to uh, have a smoke and, and meet with uh, some of the uh, leading prison gangs. Uh, Mike, what kind of what kind of gangs is Rick Johnson likely to run into if he does some time? And is he is he going to do some time? He's cooperating, right? I mean, if he brings them the head of every bad guy in the state of Michigan, is that enough for him to get a pass? It's funny you should ask that, ML. Um, before I came onto the show, um, I was boning up on my Johnson research, and I, I looked into his <laughs> boning up on Johnson. Is this a Drew and Mike show? What happened here? No, uh, no. But I was looking at at the, the documents, and I actually crunched his guidelines because oh. in the federal system we have federal sentencing guidelines so just as a treat to the listeners i thought that i could explain what those guidelines are for rick johnson so he the way you determine your guidelines under the federal guideline sentencing is is you get a number which is your your guideline number and that number corresponds to a range of prison time so i did the the calculations for his guilty plea with 
the bribe amount being $110,000, he's looking at uh, 37 to 46 months in federal prison. That's roughly three to four years in that range. But this under this plea agreement, what it does is it allows him to cooperate and essentially um, cut his time in half. So, so at least in the Detroit U.S. Attorney's Office when I was there, uh, 50% reduction is common for for really good cooperators. So if he's providing really good cooperation, agreeing to testify, et cetera, he'll probably get close to 50% off of that. So that's 18 to 23 months now, all of a sudden. But, but there's a really, really important thing that he's avoiding that you wouldn't know by just looking at the documents. In bribery cases, the um, the amount of time that, you, that you're looking at under the guidelines is almost always a direct result of the value of the contract or the item that, that the official is being bribed about. So that's why when you go back to the Kilpatrick investigation with Sinegro, that was a 10-year, $1.2 billion waste removal contract. And so that's why guidelines were incredibly high for Monica Conyer, so high that, that Judge Cohn in that case just disregarded them completely. But, but Judge Cleland in the Dean Reynolds matter, he looked at the amount of money that all these trash contracts were going to bring, and he hit Dean Reynolds for the full amount, and that's why he's doing 17 years in federal prison for taking some, you know, a relatively low amount of bribes. So here, what I'm getting at is, is Rick Johnson got his his amount of money that, which, as I said, drives his guidelines. He got that limited to $100,000, which which only gives him like an eight-point bump, but. Really, what is the value of, of a marijuana permit? The, the government could have argued, um, if, if the defendant didn't agree to this, the government could have argued that that marijuana license could you know, be worth millions of dollars, not $100,000. And his guidelines could have been more like Dean Reynolds, 17 years. So there's a lot, there's a lot of bargaining here that you can't really see from the surface. And, and, and if, I were, if I were Rick Johnson's attorney, I would be very cognizant of that. And, and that would be a very important reason to enter into this plea deal. Well, we saw that in the Morocco case. And I know you were a prosecutor on that case. So I don't know if you can talk about that. But when the feds allowed him to plead guilty to attempted bribery and that he was basically found guilty or admitted to trying to obtain $6,500 as opposed to he was the head of a criminal enterprise that involved millions and millions and millions of dollars of a county contract, that locked him in in that formula to a very low number because that whole notion of, well, how much money was really involved? And I, I don't want to say the feds allowed him to do that. He had a very good attorney, and, and I'm sure he convinced them that they weren't going to win on the big case. But they basically limited the amount of time that he would ever be facing by saying it was only 6500 bucks yeah so so when you look at morocco the morocco case you know and not understanding the background it, it looks to the typical person like wow you gave a great deal to the most most culpable guy the top guy and that is not at all what happened what happened in that case is that that anthony morocco was engaging in extortion over a long period of time, I think about 20 years, um, when he was the, the commissioner of public works at Macomb County. And the the um, he could have been hit with a lot more time. But the reason that he was given this deal was because, number one, the critical witness against him, Dino Bucci, had passed away. And number two, the the nature of the of the charges were we're not the bags of cash like you see, you know, here with with uh, with with Rick Johnson, all this cash. The, what you saw 
the the it wasn't bribery even it was extortion so extortion is is a little different than bribery morocco was saying hey buy tickets to my 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 parties for thousands of dollars um and if you don't do that you know we'll see what happens to your soil erosion permit which will sit on my desk you know forever so it was it was different um and so you could we the government could have calculated a much higher sentence for Morocco that would have that would have required um, a more aggressive approach, which which the government was not in a position to do because they didn't have the the case against him. They just didn't. The, it wasn't a great case. So I know well, it's, it's it's sad and it, it looks like an you know an aberration, but there's a reason for it. Just like Gabe Leland, I know that you're still uh, uh, having fun uh, 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 that case in your mind, but that case again. You know, was was Bob Carmack flying, uh, <laughs> flying um, messages over over your house saying, yeah. "Don't give Leland a good deal because I'm a crazy man." That's what those that's what those uh, messages said to me when I saw those planes flying over my office. Well, we mentioned uh, YouTube with Luke Nowacki. We're, th- th- that's a rabbit hole, YouTube, and we're about to get into one here, so I should probably cut it short because I know Sean has to get to a press conference. But I do, I do. They, By the way, there I were just... lots of companies that were cited the Morocco thing who could have been witnesses. And as far as Gabe Leland goes, you know, he could have been required to resign long before he fell on his sword, which might have spared the taxpayers of Detroit his positive vote on a massive, massive bond issue that we're all going to be paying for for the next 30 years. But that's water under the bridge. I'm sorry, Sean. No, I just, uh, not to change the subject, but I just realized because I got a different angle, maybe it's the way you swiveled in a chair, maybe it was the way that massive forearm of yours moved out of the way. (laughs) But that's a Star Trek shirt. That's awesome. It's Captain Kirk, just that so is you know. Awesome. I am in the command chair here. I just thought there's some ambiguity about uh, who's running the Enterprise here. Let, ladies and oh, gentlemen, the, the geeks in high school too can yeah. grow up to be successful. I just want to know Elric. He's clearly the Star Trek shirt. He's clearly on. the boss. No, he's always been the boss. It's the great. L is for Tiberius. What, a, what a great shirt that is. That's, the L is silent. It's like pneumonia. I didn't make, knew they made those in adult sizes. As you can tell, it's a little small. It's a uh, it's a youth double XL. You've been working out. You're trying to show it's, off. A little it's bit. it's for the uh, right. It's for the generously proportioned 16 year old. No, okay. Um, so Michael uh, Trump is uh, a federal federal case here, right? I mean the uh, the paying of hush money for Stormy Daniels to shut up is a violation of campaign finance law, which is a federal law. There's all kinds of tax issues, probably undeclared income, blah, 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 blah. Yet he is charged in state court. Can you explain to us as a former federal prosecutor why this wasn't a federal court and whether or not Donald Trump is in trouble with this uh, this grand jury indictment that came down in New York? And, of course, in New York, local courts do use grand juries in michigan we don't the prosecutor will uh, issue charges so it's a little different but it's not a federal case it's a state case that trump is facing in new york the feds passed that's my answer uh, the southern district of new york looked at these these uh, the conduct and decided that this is not a federal case and and that's why there wasn't one could there have been one for campaign finance violations just like the ill-fated prosecution of jeffrey feiger um Related to the John Edwards campaign, um, that could have that could have happened, but it it's just it's not when you're going to go after the president, which we'll get into what I, I have to say about the state prosecution. You don't you don't lead with 
you know, with, with the jaywalking charge. It, and that's essentially what this is. The, the, the charges in New York City are, are regulatory uh, bookkeeping charges that require to be a felony. They require there be some underlying f- felony crime that, that the false statements in the books are covering up. And there really isn't anything that I can see uh, uh, of a crime that was being covered up catching and killing and paying people to 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 take stories and not run them that is not a crime even though it's discussed in in Alvin Bragg's statement of facts as if it were some some heinous you know uh, felony it just isn't it's not a crime so i think those that those charges are going to fall apart at the very least they're going to be reduced to misdemeanors that's what i think will happen and i think it was an, a bad decision by that the the prosecutor that Originally stopped the investigation when he when he was elected, and then um, uh, probably gave into a lot of political pressure to bring them. Well, there was a piece in the New York Times, uh, I think Sunday before last, talking about Alvin Bragg's decision to let the case go, but then to restart it and build it from the ground up again. And I think there was some of the uh, some of the business and tax charges. But he let those go because there's a statute of limitations issue, whereas on the Stormy Daniels stuff, and and you talk about it as being a regulatory case, and I thought that that uh, campaign finance case against Figer was going to be a tough case just because people don't really care about campaign finance. Juries are not going to see that as a heinous crime. But in this case, the catch and kill may have swung an election. When you violate campaign finance law and you bury a story that could have made a difference in a very, very narrow election, that seems to me like a pretty serious crime. Mm. How are we supposed to deal with stuff like that? In my business, back doing public corruption cases and deciding whether or not to charge people, we always had that that question to each other, which is, is this crime or is this slime? Is it slimy? Yes. Is it unethical? Yes. Is it all those things? Yes. There's really not much illegal about it. I'm, I'm sorry to say. Um, did did should that have been a campaign contribution? I, I don't know. Uh, was it? A, did, I'm not even sure how it violated the campaign finance laws. Um, uh, certainly, that the Southern District it was of New York campaign funds that were expended but not reported. Um, well, so you have to you have to report. So that that would be that would be very low on uh, on the scale of, of much lower even than, than the charges against Figer that the jury rejected um, so many years ago here in Detroit. Um, so so really all this is just I guess a for a forerunner of what's really going to happen. I think in the next I think this summer we're going to see charges in at least one other jurisdiction, maybe two. I think we're going to see something from from um, Special Counsel Smith. I think we're going to see an indictment of Trump federally. Um, that's on the, on the classified documents The classified case. documents, I think that's going to be, there's going to be, be charges there um, related to the false statements that, that Trump purportedly made to his attorneys that he knew would be then um, repeated to um, federal law enforcement. I think that's going to be a charge, and I think there's a, a good chance that he could be charged, Trump could be charged with... In Georgia? With, in Georgia, exactly, um, under the state law for what he tried to do to change the outcome of the, the election. Um, and then it's possible that there could be uh, a federal charge based on, on January 6th for there's a very, very clear um, uh, statute that applies, which is attempting to interfere or interfering with an official proceeding. And that official proceeding would have been the counting of the Electoral College votes on January 6th. So 
that I think the evidence is clear that he tried to do that. Um, he said as much to his supporters. So, you know, he's he's looking at serious charges for things that actually matter, as opposed to, in my view, what what Alvin Bragg charged, which is. I'm not even sure what it is. So as a prosecutor, you wouldn't bring the case in New York on Stormy Daniels, but you would bring the other cases. From what I can't say that I would bring them without seeing all the evidence. But if, if right, the evidence but, is what I think it is, I would I would I would likely bring charges against Trump for what? And I know the, I know more about the January 6th because of, of the committee hearings than I do about the classified documents. So I would say. You know, I, I think there's enough evidence there to charge them. There's certainly probable cause, um, and and but the question is is can you win, and do you have do you have a likelihood of winning? Because that's the Department of Justice's standard to bring a charge. You not only have to have probable cause to go to a grand jury and ask them to indict. You also have to believe that there's a reasonable likelihood that you'll win a trial, which means a reasonable likelihood that 12 unanimous jurors will find beyond a reasonable doubt that Donald Trump is guilty. So. So that that I I haven't done that analysis. That's what I would have to have to wrap my mind mind around before I actually um, charged. Well, Michael, thanks for the uh, the insight, and I hope you can take this Michael home today. But I do have to recuse myself. Excuse myself. Sorry. Yeah. Be, to be, get to an interview. So before Sean goes, do you need representation. Before Sean uh, I goes, I hope not. But I know if I do, where I can call. We're gonna get to our geek of the week, and then Sean is gonna make his adieu. Oh man, the geeks have inherited the earth. What a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek or we're turning into cool guys? So my geek of the week was going to be a guy who knocked over a pharmacy in Macomb County while wearing a tether. I mean, it's really tough to argue you weren't there when your own ankle says you were there. It's me. Because you're right, I should not have been picking on Austin Meadows. I uh, I regret that. It wasn't the right thing to do. I'm sorry that he's not able to perform because of whatever his performance anxieties are. I hope they only extend to what's going on on the field. And I hope he feels better. But, uh, but yeah, we gotta, we got to be sympathetic to him. And, uh, but go and after Baez all you want, I mean, right? Really? You hate him? No, it's not that I oh. hate him. He's fair game, though. Yeah, you know, picking on athletes is easy. They're, I, I don't whatever. love doing it necessarily, but I know a lot, a lot of fans do. It makes them feel better. They get frustrated. Well, you were all they over feel. that center. You Would you call him a dunderhead or something? You really got in his face. Oh, yeah, he was not happy with me. Matthew Stafford had to hold him back from me. Yeah, I, you, I would have you, lost that in two seconds. You, you called him, uh, I, I think you called him a, 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 a goober. Dun, dunderhead, because he was flipping the fans off, right? Which you, which you, among other things. Well, where I come from, he, Dunderhead is fighting words. That's, he ended up, that's a blood uh, He and I ended up working it out, though. I mean, I, I probably went a little bit too far. I said, hey, you're right. I shouldn't have used that word. And um, yeah, would a, you would you was, use that word in church? I don't think so. That was a very valuable lesson. Do <laughs> you speak to your mom with that mouth? That's right. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly. No. So actually, I, you know what? Now, I mean, if I look up in the heavens and talk to her, sure. Now that I think about it, I I made I made a. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, don't worry about an it. An offhand I, I remark just, I that, that I I've had fun. That okay. I regret, but. But you called somebody a dunderhead, so so Sean Windsor. What does that mean? I'm sorry, I've never heard. You that are question. our geek of the week. Just being just being foolish, right, and not thinking. I mean, a blockhead, whatever. But oh. uh, there were plenty of ways to say what I needed to say without resorting to name calling. Well, so it, that was it, it, you. You bust you out. To... You bust out an insult from Victorian England. You know, <laughs> are you dunderhead? 
<laughs> you know, you no, you're but the, disingenuous Montebank. The point is, just say what you think. You know what I mean? Instead of uh, resorting to that. In any case, you, it's been fun. It's good to see you, Michael. Great to see you, Sean. I got a role, Miss Captain Kirk, over here. Hopefully, you can stay with him for a little bit longer and take him home. Number safely. two, make it so. Okay. That's what a captain says. Okay, make it so. I like that. And by the way, um, now this is not calling anybody anything. But I would love you to ask Troy Weaver, do you regret any of the dunderheaded moves that have been made? You're not calling him a dunderhead. You're characterizing some actions. Uh, Killing killing Hayes has not worked out. He's got a couple of young guys this year, though, that look pretty good. So it's, you know. So Killian Hayes dunderheaded move. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not worked out. That was a really tough draft. We don't want to go down. Hey, don't that. you get out of here? You we gotta we, go. we got to go. I got to yeah, go. It's good to see it. you, boys, and uh, we'll see you next week. And you know what? We have something in room seven six zero nine that Sean is going to love. But I know he'll hear it when he listens to the replay. Because of course I will. Like a lot of people, he likes to watch us on YouTube, and you can subscribe to our channel at Soul of Detroit. Please subscribe, like it, hit the bell for alerts so you know when we go live because we often don't know that ourselves. You can watch us on Facebook. Or, you know what? It's kind of nice just to listen every once in a while. I'm sure Sean will be listening later on as he takes a moment of quiet reflection and continues to regret his incredibly caustic comment to that dunderhead from the Detroit Lion. Have you ever called anybody that, Mike? I mean, that's would, would no, you bring heard charges that, on that? Dunder, that a, I thought of The Office. I is that a hate crime? I, I've never heard that saying. Uh, yeah. It's probably some kind of crime. It, it does feel like it's... Uh, Crime against the king? Yeah, it does seem like it's it's not appropriate. Well, Mike, we have a couple more parts of the show. I don't know if you need to get back to work and, yeah. and, and defend the uh, the improperly charged, but uh, but this is a great time for us to get into our Room 769 because we have a special treat for you this month. We are looking at new music that rips off or maybe just is inspired by New Wave, and that's coming up in just a second in Room 7609. Seven six zero nine is where you go to find great music, and there's another place you go to find great music on the east side or from anywhere in uh, wherever you can hear the sound of my voice. I encourage you to go to the Kaju Cafe, where tonight it's karaoke from eight to midnight. On Thursday it's Blue Thursdays. This week it's Carl Caballero and the Wreckage, a Detroit Blues Society event. Friday Motor City Josh and the Big Three. Saturday is On the Rocks. Sunday is Eric Goebel's fun Sunday Fun Day Jam featuring Badman Luther Keith. The bad man is there. I gotta gotta get. I, I'm gonna be out of town for Greek Easter. Damn it! I want to see Luther Keith. Monday is Blue Mondays Open Blues Jam with Bobby East, Pat Simley, and friends. It's also Muscle Madness. We can get all you can eat muscles, and uh, that's something that's worth thinking about too. Because there's not only a lot of fun there. There's pinball. There's feather bowling. Great food. The kitchen's open till midnight every night, but Sunday when it closes at 10 o'clock, there's always something great going on at Cadre Cafe inside, outside. Find out all about it by going to their website. That's cadrecafe.com, C-A-D-I-E-U-X, cafe.com. 
It's a Belgian bar with a French name, and it's on the east side. That's the Cadu Cafe. Now, this week, we have, uh, we have a, a great suggestion from one of our listeners on a, um, a fantastic modern piece of music. I'll say more recent piece of music that takes on some, uh, takes on some new wave, and it doesn't take on me. That was last week. This week, we have the Notorious B.I.G., and I think this one's going to be pretty easy to figure out which new wave band inspired him. Yo, check it. Call Lil C's. Tell that motherfucker bring me some no, motherfuckers no, to the hospital. No, Notorious. Tell that boy to go pick up 10,000 from Dez and go no, take about like no, 20 G's from no, Gino. Notorious. Get the next door up out of here. Be showing all no, night. I can't no, sleep. And call that big butt nurse with the long hair to come. Bad boy, come on. The doctor said I need about three weeks of recovery But the nurses is loving me Saying the best part of the day is my half Feeding me breakfast and giving me a sponge bath Say I died dead in the streets I'm getting high, getting on the beach Chilling, sitting on about half a million With all my all my, all my women The next two years, I should see about a billion All for the love of drug dealers Got no love for the other side any repercussions, Junior Mafia spit clips all the time. Big Papa kicked the war around. Raw flows, and that's how it goes. This for my niggas ringing things, hammer ringing kings, uh-huh. truck necklace, igloo ringing things for the bitch. You see them rims spinning grin, that shit with the bee trimmed in wings. Heavy and larger, silver spurs to rap. On the road to the riches, more furs to drag. More niggas to kill, then birds to bag. Hit the jeweler and splurge the tab. Uh, hops out the truck like trick, what up? Call me Sean if you call me gone when I know that's the end of us. Get your friend to f- Untwist and bend her up, you, you know, know the deal. Talking real busy on some ball and shit. That's right. Funny how quick these forget. Acting like I ain't the reason they traded. They switch that five, cop that six. That's right. It's all good. You know who the crone is. The Jones is trying to keep up with the cone. Come on, we are. We are. What's his name? Glass filled to the rim, the notorious K.I. to the M. That's me and MTV, no doubt. Out like, whoa, I don't give a Y'all know my attitude. Can't stand my cologne and stay your home. You ran your chaperone. Things done change, but we continue to reign. As the king and the queen of hip hop, me and B.I. Frank White, still listen to of attention. I'm by his side with the chrome fifth, playing my position. Sexy, young thing, from the ghetto. Rockin' mics and high heels to level. We taking over like Francis. Switching our styles like the hottest new dances. See, I let y'all stack a little paper. Be glad I pushed my album back. I did y'all a favor. Come on now. We are. What's his name? So that was the Notorious B.I.G., and you probably heard Puff Daddy in there. I think there was a little little Kim in there as well. Everybody's abandoned me. I'm, I'm on my own. I, I, feel, so, I feel so destitute. It's just, 
it's just me and Joe, my, my only true friend. But I don't really need any help identifying which new wave icon contributed to that cut. You heard it right off the top. It was Duran Duran from their epic single, Notorious. And it's all part of uh, this, little, this little theme we got going here where you provide us with a pop tune that has some new wave DNA. We play it. I ask uh, the rest of the team if they can identify it. Uh, Sean actually was here for it, so he probably could have identified it, but it was too easy. You know, Sean doesn't like these stuff. He likes to make things hard. So if you have some great suggestions for us for Room 7609, please get them to us. You can send those to mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. We're going to keep playing these till we run out. If you have some other great new wave gems you'd like us to get to, we're always looking for obscure new wave music that when people hear it, they'll say, why did that why didn't anybody dig this when it came out? How did they miss this? Or your big new wave bands that had a B-side or a song that just didn't get the love that it deserves. We love to elevate them. We love to put them up on a platform here on the soul of Detroit. So that's what Room 7609 is all about. And it works best when you get involved. So please do not be shy about letting us know what you dig here at uh, ML Soul of Detroit. Um, got some feedback here. We have some, actually, let me, let me, let me take care of those who take care of us. We have, uh, had some very generous donations in the past week, and I want to make sure we acknowledge those people because this show, uh, relies on the kindness of others, um, as, uh, as many enterprises do these days. So we want to thank you for chipping in. Um, you know, of course, Bryant and, and Michael have been really helpful, Another Michael sent us a great, uh, a very princely sum, very kind and generous donation. Big fan of the show. Great guy. Thank you again. And Michael, who sent us money last week, sent us again. So that's two Michaels. Um, one more, and we are almost halfway to a full house. So please keep that dough coming. It's really easy to do it. You go to our website. That's mlsoulofdetroit.com. You'll see a little button on the upper right-hand corner. that says Donate. Believe me, it is so easy to donate. It just comes out of your, you know, it's electronic, right? So it's not like real money, so you won't even miss it. I say to myself every time I buy something online, okay, it's fine. It, there may be some pain involved, but please, please, if you, if you can spare a few shekels, we'll put them to good use here at the Soul of Detroit. And now for our listener feedback. We love hearing from you. You can write to us at mlsolvedetroit at gmail.com. This one is hot off the press. It just came in at 1056. So uh, I may not have read this as close as I should have, so uh, hopefully I'm not getting myself in trouble here. Lisa writes, Dear ML and Sean, not a big fan of Mark's, okay. I enjoy your radio show and both of your free press columns, but I doubt you'll be eager to read this correction on air. Uh-oh. Last week, you detailed political nepotism and pushed back on readers who called you out for omitting Mayor Duggan's family from your column. You claim there's no evidence of Duggan family nepotism. Oh, really? So you don't know Duggan's nepo baby son, Ed, is a Democrat machine insider who was on Whitmer's transition team, has worked high-level gigs in state government, and became a party apparatus grifter via strategy consulting and ad buying? 
Little Eddie famously made a mint off a city prop daddy wanted scuttled in Detroit. And Eddie was famously busted swinging massive state contracts to party cronies. See Deadline Detroit, link below. And a simple Google search of Duggan's daughter, Carolyn, reveals her LinkedIn, which shows she has a very plumb six-figure gig at J.P. Morgan Chase, a bank with very close personal ties to Detroit and Duggan. I am unsure what Duggan's third child does for work. Maybe you do. Well, let's, let's get the, the record straight here. My story, my column in uh, last week's Free Press, and we'll have a link on our website, talked about city officials who are giving relatives high-paying jobs in City Hall and really didn't speak to that other than to say that it's permissible that the city's ethics ordinance says you can pretty much do whatever you want as long as you let us know. And in fact... You don't really need to let us know except for some extraordinary circumstances. So I was criticized for not citing Mayor Duggan hiring his relatives. Well, the reason why is because Mayor Duggan didn't hire any relatives, or at least I haven't found any evidence that the mayor hired any relatives. And I've reviewed the list of city employees. They're not on there. So we do have to let the facts get in the way of a story that everybody wants to get excited about. Whether or not they were able to get lucrative gigs or gigs in politics because of their connections to the mayor... That's a whole different kind of story. And that happens all the time in every realm. I'm not saying I like it. I'm not saying it gets us the best results. And I'm not saying that it might be a little odiferous. What I am saying is they're not being paid by taxpayers here in the city of Detroit. And that's what I was looking at. Public officials who are responsible for bringing you services, who are expected to serve you, serving themselves the choicest cuts before maybe some of those scraps fall off their table onto their table. So that's what I wrote about. I don't consider this a correction because there's nothing that was wrong. Now, <laughs> the practice of people hooking up their friends and family for all kinds of jobs with other people, that's been going on forever. I don't condone that, folks, but uh, that's a slightly different topic. Okay, on a lighter note, Lisa says, what do you think of our alma mater forced to cancel the online gambling contract with Caesars Palace? More egg on the face of $1 million salary athletic director Alan Haller, who she calls an incompetent dunce, and power drunk MSU brass again forced newspapers to sue for the details on this $9 million gambling contract. It never ends in L.A. That said... Go green. Well, I like the way you ended that, Lisa. And it is all about the green. I have never liked gambling being anywhere near college sports. I remember a very prominent case about 20 years ago where athletes, or at least one athlete at the University of Toledo was in trouble because he was working with gamblers. I think he was throwing games or shaving points. I think he was shaving points. Ruined that young man's life. Certainly ended his athletic career. Gambling should be nowhere near amateur athletics. And the fact that when, for years, we wanted to keep athletes and everybody on campus away from gambling, and then you go to Spartan Stadium and you see big ads for Caesars uh, gambling, I mean, it made me personally sick. I think it sends the absolute wrong message. But, uh, but yeah, I'm glad. If that contract has been 86, that's the best news I've had out of East Lansing in a while. We should not be putting kids 
uh, as close to gambling as that, and we should not be giving it the uh, the aura of respectability. If you want to gamble, that's fine. A lot of people have fun. I've done a little online gambling myself on games and stuff like that. I'm a grown ass man with a job. Having the kids and the athletes around it, that just that just feels to me like uh, that feels like danger. That feels like like trouble waiting to happen. Um, you know, in the same way that. We try and make sure liquor stores aren't too close to preschools. I realize this is a bit of a stretch as an analogy, but I really don't want to make gambling that easily accessible or encourage it right there near um, near our college kids. So, uh, so yeah, Lisa, uh, you and I uh, have some similar feelings about about hookups. Uh, we disagree on whether or not the mayor belonged in that story. The fact is, he didn't. And we, I think, have a lot to say about what's going on with our pals there at, uh, at Michigan State. Um, last week, a couple of things I want to set straight. We, we did, I did read the email or had Sean read the email um, from a listener who criticized me for writing about the black politicians having family on the payroll but not saying anything about Duggan. Again, it's not because they're black. It's because they're high-ranking city officials who had loved ones on the payroll. If the mayor had somebody on the payroll, I would have reported that as well. And here's what I wrote back, and you may have heard a portion this week. Mayor Duggan does not have any relatives working for him. I checked. I followed the widely accepted journalistic practice that requires me to limit my work to the facts. So are you okay with public officials giving good-paying jobs to friends and family without considering any other candidates? That was my question to Jay Ann, who wrote last week, I still do not have a response, so I guess she doesn't really worry about that practice, or she only worries about it if certain people in certain demographics do it. To me, right is right, wrong is wrong, no matter where you're from, no matter who you worship, no matter how much money you got in your pocket, no matter what you look like. It's really that simple. And I take a lot of guff because people want to make it more than that, but that's all it is, folks. If you do wrong and I found out about it, I'm going to try and tell everybody I possibly can. Um, Sean, what, please, in, in the next five seconds, tell me about the best stuff you're going to have on the Carlos and Sean podcast this week. Okay, I thought so. Uh, pretty typical show there. Anyway, we really appreciate you being a part of this show. We love to hear from you. We love your suggestions. We love your feedback. Uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Soul of Detroit. Subscribe, like, hit the bell. Please follow us on social media. I am at Elric, E-L-R-I-C-K, on Twitter. On Facebook, it's M-L-E-L-R-I-C-K. No periods in there anywhere. That's the best way to find out what's going on with the show. If you'd like to advertise, please drop us a line at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. It is ridiculously cheap. I, I'm ashamed at how cheap it is to get the word out on this show. And as you know, because you're the audience, you are a highly educated, highly mobile very loyal audience that trusts when we tell you somebody will do right by you because if they don't, we'll be the first to go get them. So until next week, thanks for listening. We really appreciate you here. Mark, any last words? No. Sean, what do you have to say? Nothing. Joe, well, you know what Joe has to say. Same thing every week. He speaks through his actions. An extraordinary gentleman. So, Joe, thanks for keeping this show moving this week. And until next week, thanks for listening to the ML Soul of Detroit. And you know what happens here. Cyrus, take us out. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? I miss 
Set my entire go. life go. because I got high. Go. Uh, go. I lost my kids and wife because I got high. Say what? Say what? Say what? Say what? Now I'm sleeping on the sidewalk and I know why. Why, man? Yeah, because I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. I'ma stop singing this song because I'm high. Singing this whole thing wrong because I'm high. Bring it back, bring it back. And if I don't sell one copy, I know why. Why, man? Yeah, cause I'm high. Cause I'm high. Cause I'm high. Are you really high, man? He really is high, man. Shoop, shoop, shooby doo Get jiggy with it. Skippity bee bop.